Welcome to We Do with Megan and Luke. I'm Luke. So that means I must be Megan. I hope so. Wah, wah, wah. We've been watching Stranger Things uh, for the past like week or so. Holy shit. That show is amazing. It's great. Everything about it is good. I can't think of one thing about it that I don't like, except maybe that everybody's obsessed with Barb and I don't get it. Barb is very overrated. I came into it, so I did, we didn't watch it right away. So we saw like all the buzz and all the art. Like I didn't read any of the articles beforehand, but all the articles about Barb, like everyone's loving Barb, and then she was like almost not in it. Yeah. I thought there must be a whole part with her in the, well, spoilers for everybody. I, I hope you kind of got that, that we were going to spoil it for you. So if you haven't watched it, fast forward. But I thought she was going to be in it more than just after she gets put in the upside down. Uh-huh. She's not in it. Well, I was just expecting. It was, it was com the compelling part of her, like, in there, which is, like, when we really can tell that it's a different place. Yeah. Like, that her terrify, like, running around. Yeah. That's pretty much the last time you see her. Yeah. It's crazy. Because that, like, advanced things a lot. That one little scene, and there's no dialogue in it, and it's very evocative, and it seems like there's going to be more, and there just isn't. Yeah. Although it is kind of sad that, like, no one misses her. It, uh, like, no one gives a shit about Barb. In the last in the last episode, no one even mentions Barb. Yeah. Like, it's as if there never was a Barb. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. So I don't get it. I don't know. I, I mean, the show was good. I liked it. Yeah. I can't wait for it to come out again. Guys, if you're not watching the Netflix original series, they're killing it. Sense8 is the other one that we love. That show is so good. I mean, now there are a million, so, like... Who knows who's watching nar Narcos or <laughs> Marco Polo? Not me. That's the answer. Yeah. Marco Polo is like a dad show, I guess. Yeah. My dad watches it. Does he? I'll have to find out if my dad watches it. Your dad and my dad both watch, like, super weird CBS shows. All the dad shows. Yeah. Blue Bloods, White Collar, anything with colors in it. <laughs> uh, Doesn't your dad Grimm. Yeah, your dad watches Grimm. He loves to talk uh, to us about that. Dan's dad loves, uh, I think it's The Prophet, the one where he goes and, like, mm -hmm. fixes up businesses. He, like, buys a controlling interest in the business and turns it around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those kind of shows. Dad shows. Yeah. So what have we done this week? What's your check-in? My check-in. Well, What's the status? I don't know if it was this week or last, but we didn't talk about it. We got our first present off of our registry. Oh, right. I didn't realize that, uh, so did you have to, like, publish it or make it live or something? Uh, yeah, I think I made it live accidentally very early in the process, and okay. then you can't unmake it live. Ah, yeah, I was not aware that it was available for people to look at. Yeah, I didn't intend for it to, but I realized pretty early on that it was already live, so I was like, whatever. Okay. We'll, well just keep and going. <laughs> she bought something that we were likely not going to take off later, like going through it again. Yeah. So. And, like, she, so we got, uh, they're, like, these handmade, uh, reclaimed wood trays. Uh, so they're from Scout Mob, which I don't know if everybody else knows about, but is a pretty cool website where they have, like, local artisans put their stuff up. Um, they do a lot of stuff, but that's the part I like, where they have, like, jewelry and clothing and housewares and stuff. And so it's just this, like, cool guy that finds wood and makes cool stuff out of it. I'm into it. I like supporting the local businesses. Mm-hmm. Like he's in Brooklyn? Uh, I think he's in Brooklyn. I don't remember. But they work in, out of, like, major metropolitan areas. So it's, like, mm -hmm. Brooklyn, Chicago, Boston, Atlanta. Right. And you can order f from anywhere in the U.S. and they'll ship. Right. So maybe not local to me, but, like, you know, not, like, made in China. So how do you feel about the registry so far, the process? I feel like we've been doing really good work. We've built... There's, a like, a healthy amount of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of... So, I really like to look at reviews for items and, like, get side-by-side -side comparisons to make sure I'm getting the best whatever. The best vegetable peeler or the best blender. Yeah, I haven't looked in... You've put most of the stuff on. I haven't looked into it too much, but a lot of them are sort of... Uh, we need one of these and so like 
if it was a set of coasters. Like, we need a set of coasters, so there's one on there. But uh, down the line, we may, like... Swap one in for the other if look we don't more, get it. Yeah, look yeah. more carefully at the exact one that would be good. So, I really like America's Test Kitchen. And uh, unfortunately, their reviews of products are not uh, available for the average internet user. You have to subscribe. We, uh, I have, at least for me, I have so many thoughts about America's Test Kitchen. Oh my god. Give me, give me the rundown real quick. Top five thoughts. Christopher Kimball, garbage. <laughs> garbage glad, human. I'm glad he's gone. He's uh, like, he resigned or whatever. Who cares? The upside is no more him. Uh, I think it's weird that they're on PBS. The, the television show is on PBS, but the website and the magazine and everything are subscription-based. You have to pay. So, like, I think that's what you were going to say, right? Their, their reviews and stuff, you have to pay for them. Yeah. But... The show is a publicly funded show. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. No. Their recipes are uh, all over the place in terms of like on the on the podcast, I like listen to their podcast, they do uh, a wide range, like pretty normal recipes. Like people, they take telephone calls and people say like, I'm making uh, chocolate cake and this thing happened to it. Like it's getting huge holes, huge air holes. What's wrong with it? And they, like, really get into the nitty-gritty of fixing that stuff. But we watched, like, three or four episodes this morning, and they were all, like, weird elitist uh, recipes that, like, the whole time I was like, who is going to make this? Yeah. Like, nobody is actually going to make this. They made a, they made this, like, weird hybrid omelet that was also a souffle. And I was like, really? Is anyone going to make a souffle omelet in the morning? Like, who does that? Yeah, they separated the whites and the yolks and then, like, whipped the whites to give a lift to, like, reincorporate them into it. Like, no one's going to do this for an omelet. No. You had to bake it. There was a lot. But what I, what I was going to say, sorry, was that all five of your thoughts? I don't know. That would seem like enough. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, to build off of that, like, you have to pay for the website and the subscription. You also have to pay for them separately. Like, oh, if you, garbage. yeah, if you have a subscription to the magazine, that doesn't mean you get access to anything online, which is... Ugh. The worst. So why buy the magazine? Why why anything? So I got really upset about this because I wanted to pick out really good knives. And so I went looking for someplace that did uh, free reviews but, like, were as in-depth or close to as in-depth as America's Test, America's Test Kitchen. And I found this website called thesweethome.com. And let me tell you, they don't review as much stuff as I wish that they did, but their testing is so in-depth. I love it. So I found, um, I have the awful tendency of dropping our drinking glasses and breaking them. And so I found... Really anything that can break. Yeah, <laughs> anything made of glass. So I found a, a review of drinking glasses where they looked at all the different um, options and then they dropped them from different heights onto different uh, surfaces and show which ones survive and which ones don't. Do they have video? Oh, yeah, yeah. that's great. Look at that. Yeah, so it's pretty excellent. And uh, they talk about why that they, uh, like, all of the different things that they were grading everything on and why they picked one uh, to be the winner and, like, what was important to them. And people, like, that work at the website will take these home and use them over the course of time. So they'll update their reviews based on their long-term use. I've never watched glass break videos, but now that I've seen this one, I can't imagine a world without glass break videos. <laughs> Here's another one. That one doesn't break. Let's see it. Oh, nice. Yeah. It landed right side up, too. Yeah. So I got a bunch of stuff from this website when I was looking up, like, what's the best cookie sheet or what's the best roasting pan, etc. Cool. It was great. So Dude. I highly recommend it, and I'm pretty pumped about, like, we got... What did I put on here? This baking dish, this, uh, the thing that you use to clip your bag shut. Uh-huh. Like a chip clip? Mm-hmm. There was, like, a whole, uh, comparison of different people's, um, preferences for, uh, silverware. So they talk about, like, what you care about in silverware and then which set would make the most sense for you. Serious Eats does reviews too, but they don't They don't have a lot. Much stuff, so. Yeah, I looked at them too, because we really like Serious Eats for food. Right, it's just here and there. Yeah, I, all I, this stuff. I bought a knife on Kickstarter because of the Serious Eats endorsement, which uh, 
I think I contributed to the Kickstarter like a year and a half ago, and they they're still like they're just on the verge of shipping them. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I they give you uh, updates, like the Kickstarter updates, every once in a while to tell you how close they are, and uh, they're all numbered. So we're on like update twenty or something. Oh my god! Because they had so many problems of uh, like. They got a batch of the blades, and then they, you, like, add the handle on. So they, they, they got the blades made in China and sent over, and, like, the blades were no good, and they had to redo the batch and, like, yeah. all this kind of stuff. So I learned to not do that in the future. Yeah. So I saw this week... So there's this one guy on 538.com who does the... 538 is the Nate Silver... ESPN blog about stats and data analysis and there's one guy on it who occasionally will do wedding related uh, articles so he put up two articles I thought we could talk about them from this week they each one covers like several different topics so I'm just gonna we I did. read them both and first article so we read both of these yeah. Our general take before we go into the nuts and bolts of them is basically that there's not much to it. Well, his articles didn't really analyze. They were just like, here, so here are the questions I asked and here are the numbers that came out of it. Yeah. Like what I like about 538 is that they don't just give you the statistics. They explain the statistics and they do a lot of advanced analysis for you. And then they explain what that analysis is doing. And how they're like pulling meaningful data out of, uh, one might say, pulling the signal from the noise, as Nate Silver's book is titled. But he doesn't. I heard that book is no good. Is that true? I read it. You didn't read it? No. Oh, I. Every chapter is based on a different um, thing that one can use stats for. So, like one chapter is about uh, predicting the weather. One chapter is about predicting the economy. Um, I was very interested for it, and then the reviews were sort of middling. Yeah, I would say that individual chapters are really good, and some of them are really bad. But as a whole book, it's not, uh, it doesn't, like, have any sort of narrative structure. So you really should okay. just break it up and read So it's more of a, like, collection of topics. Yeah, so I would say definitely read the chapter about predicting the weather. That's my favorite one. Uh, and I love the weather. Yeah, we know you love the weather. You're a, you're a weather hound? Hashtag Capital Weather Gang. Hashtag NY Metro Weather. <laughs> the economy's really boring. Political one is really boring. Etc. Okay. Well, maybe something to skim eventually. But I what I was trying to get at was, essentially, this guy doesn't provide any analysis or, like, any additional layers of information or insight. He just provides you with the information that came out of the the survey. Right. So we will ask some of those questions as we go through this. Um, so the first uh, question he posed were, who are the most important people to invite to a wedding? And then he had uh, a bunch of categories that you could rank. So the number one was parents and step-parents, and number two was siblings, and number three was grandparents. So that all seems normal. There's 13 categories on this list. Yeah. Though, so what seems weird about this is there's no context in terms of uh, how big your weddings are. Mm -hmm. So if you're inviting, like if you're only inviting 10 people, you're not getting to the bottom of this list, like second cousins and coworkers and stuff. No. So like by definition, I guess... I guess you're ranking them low priority because you're not inviting them at all. Yeah. <laughs> I also, there's no, um, what I really didn't like about this list was that they assume groups of friends are separate. So like number six is close friends and then number 10 is college friends. And then like number 12 is coworkers. But like you could call your college friends, your close friends. And you could work with them also. Yeah, you could work with your close friends. Like, it, I, I just feel like those are much more difficult to separate out as individual categories. 
So like when I saw college friends all the way at the bottom, I was like, no way. Cause most of our friends are from college. Yeah. I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of friends from post-college. Yeah. So like to me, that's not a separate category, but I just think this question is kind of useless. Like it doesn't, if you don't know who you're inviting to your own wedding, like that's a, you have a bigger problem. Uh huh. Like category wise, individual people. Yeah, I get that. But like, I just don't, I didn't feel like that this question was even necessary. So the next question was whether it's acceptable to have kids not allowed. So 65% of respondents said it was somewhat or very acceptable for a host to say that children are not allowed at the wedding, um, which we are going to roughly kind of do. Like we're not inviting very many children. Like a lot of the people that we're inviting that have children we just like don't have the space to invite their children. Yeah. There is a lot of, we have a lot of parents that are invited and they may or may not come because their children cannot come. We have a few children that are coming, but they're coming like across the country. So I'm not, I'm not like super upset that they need to bring their kids with them since they're going to be gone for like a week. Mm -hmm. And so another common theme in these two articles is, uh, so the next part is, although the vast majority of parents in our set said they would be okay with a ban on children, 25% said that such a rule meant they would be not as likely or not at all likely to attend a wedding that didn't welcome their kids. His breakdowns are not that helpful. No. So this one is like, if you are the parents, are you okay with the ban on children? I think a more useful question would be cutoffs of, are you, like, is it acceptable to only have, only invite children in your family, like related to you? Or is it like gauche at what level if you do like 16 plus or 21 plus or something like that? Yeah, I also feel like this would be super helpful if it's broken down regionally. Like I want an interactive map on this. And by, like the same thing like by, by, by size and how much money your wedding costs. Yeah. This should have been a survey only of people who have had weddings or have attended more than five weddings. And then it should like show where they live, how, like approximately their like uh, class bracket, like the size of the wedding, if they had it, like the typical sizes of the weddings, if they've attended them, like I need more, there needs to be a lot more data in this. Right. It says it's a survey conducted August 23rd to 23rd and 24th with 1,050 respondents. Um, so that's like, I don't even know what to say about it. He, he should have said something about like, this is a, a good how many people size. respond to internet polls. Yeah. Know. So people coming from out of town, how much is appropriate to spend? The amount that an out-of-town guest should reasonably be expected to spend to attend a wedding. So the result of this poll is, on average, excluding a gift, the cost is $263. I guess that includes everything except the gift, that's what he's saying. Yeah. So, like, if you're Travel, flying or driving yeah. hotel. in your hotel, yeah. Which, Meals. Uh, I guess, like, makes sense, but $263... $263 seems really not a lot. Well, I guess most people out of town are driving, so that's not that bad. Uh, I guess. I mean, if you're, it, this is the same thing. Like, there's no context to this. So for me, nobody in my family lives near me. Like, yeah. Only, only my one cousin. So everybody else lives far enough away where they would have to fly. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of talking about, how much should they be reasonably expected to spend is also different based on how much they expect to spend on themselves to like go on a vacation. vacation. Yeah. So yeah, if your family stays at Motel 6 for a regular vacation when like they're choosing to go for whatever, if you're asking them to come to a wedding, they'll probably do a similar thing. Like they'll be prepared to do a similar thing. Yeah. So, like, asking them to, like, if your wedding's at a country club and then, like, the the wedding room's block is at, like, a resort, then that would not be reasonable to expect them to be, to come. Yeah. But if your family is, like, 
regularly a like spread the money around vacation type, then they're probably expecting to spend a lot on where they stay because they want to have a nice place. Yeah. I also think that 263 makes sense only if you're coming as part of a couple, 263 each. Because if you think about like an average hotel room, if you want to stay at like a Best Western, that's going to be like 120 a night. Right. It doesn't say how that's broken down. Yeah. So like, and I'm imagining like, that plus meals, like it ends up being like 500 bucks. Flying is people. flying is also so weird because it if you are living in L.A. and the wedding is in New York, uh, in some ways that's like a lot easier than if you live in L.A. and you're flying to like Indianapolis. Yeah. Like it weirdly costs a lot more to go a shorter distance if you're flying to smaller airports, which like, I mean, that makes sense on some scale. But so if the wedding is in a smaller place, then it can cost a lot to yeah. fly. Like $263 could cost, like, that could be your, just your airline tickets for two people. Yeah. At, at least in yeah. this economy. I would say, also, if you're going someplace where you're flying and then you need a car, like, you're not in a place that has public transportation and you need to drive to the, the wedding itself, that can be challenging as well. Because renting a car for a weekend is pretty expensive. Right. It's very, so, it really... Just transportation stuff really puts into perspective when people have uh, the bus that goes from the hotel to the venue, that kind of thing, or like picks everybody up from the reception and brings them back to the hotel. That's really, you know, it's expensive for the couple to do, but it's very, expensive. it's very, it, it's, it makes it, uh, I've, I've recognized that and appreciated it a lot more because without it, it's so much harder and so much more expensive for everybody to do individual transportation. Yeah. And it's like every, you really don't want people driving drunk. Like yeah. if everybody's going to the reception in their own cars, you have a higher likelihood of someone getting hurt. Um, I was going to say that uh, we're not doing that shuttle thing, which we had talked about doing, but because we don't know like how it would work particularly, we're not sure where people are coming in from and, when and all of that. Yeah, ours is not in a city, really. Yeah, so, like, people are going to need cars, but we set up this carpool play page called... It's on groupcarpool.com, uh, where people can, uh, like, if they have a car, they can set up a ride and say how many seats they have and where they're coming from and what time, and other people can join. Um, so I'm hoping people use that, either coming from the city or, um, like, picking people up at the airport. Uh, the next part, which I think we'll have a lot to say about, is the plus one. Is it okay to ask for a plus one? No. All right, next question. <laughs> I was really surprised that people said yes, that anyone said yes. So this one said 31% of respondents said it was, it was very or somewhat appropriate to ask for a plus one that the host didn't offer. 25% were neutral, and 44% considered it inappropriate. I am of that 44%. Spoiler alert, it's not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, seats cost money. and But again, this is also like a context thing of, uh, it says there's a large division between people who have had a wedding and those who haven't. 40% of married people say it's inappropriate to ask, meaning that they know how weddings work. And 40% of those who haven't, gotten married, agree that it's inappropriate. Some of this I also feel like is uh, context-driven of your family and the weddings that you've been to, where, like, how likely you feel it is that the plus one that you're bringing is someone that they no. would invite but just didn't. Like, uh... The subtext in here for me of like 47% of married people say it's inappropriate to ask for a plus one. I also kind of feel like uh, if you're married and you as an individual get invited, you uh, it's kind of more okay for you to ask someone that you know like kind of well whether you're supposed to have a plus one or not. Because that is clearly like your 
person that you're married to and not like I'm going to bring a date to make your wedding more fun for me. See, for me, I don't think of those people as plus ones. Like plus one to me is an unnamed guest. It's someone that uh, I, you can pick out on your own and bring and we don't know their name yet because we don't know who they are yet. Sure. That's also a distinction that's like not really in here, which I guess, I guess that's true that plus one generally means that you're bringing someone that is going to be a stranger. Yeah. Which, like, I have a problem with that generally, and I feel like the media really, like, makes you think that your people are supposed to have wedding dates. Like, oh, do you want to go with me to this wedding? And I'm like, when does that happen? Like, who has weddings where, like, they just give everyone a date? I, I mean, they're, the ones that are really big, I guess you just, like, give everybody everything. It's weird to me. But. Yeah. I just, as a, as the couple, like, I don't want a bunch of strangers there that I don't know. So I guess what I'm saying is more like there are circumstances under which I would say like, yeah, it's okay to ask for a plus one. But a lot of my ideas about it are related to like contacting the couple as people that you know well and asking them about your specific date, whether they forgot to write like plus person or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe... People wouldn't do that either. So a weird one is uh, whether you would invite the bride or the groom's boss. No. That's another thing of like... Uh, Who are these people that are inviting their boss? You need more... You need more. I mean, it says 53% of people don't care if you invite your boss or not. And most of the rest think it's a good idea to do so. Uh, what? That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Like, it doesn't well, give any context. It like, sounds like the question was worded in such a way where, like, is it a good idea, a bad idea, or you don't care? Right. Where, I like, mean, how is it a bad idea? So, right, like, we don't see the actual question, but if it was worded like that, of course everyone's going to write, we don't care. I think that it really depends on whether you are interest, you are a friend of your boss, like, if you're friendly with them, and, like, sort of what family you come from. So if you're inviting... If your parents are inviting a lot of people for networking purposes because they're paying for a lot of the wedding and they have gone to a lot of their business partners' children's weddings, then it would seem appropriate to you because, like, you've grown up in that context. Yeah. So, meaningless. I agree. Uh, are you fine with weddings scheduled over holiday weekends? Absolutely. I think so, too. It's Although your mom was very upset about it. When she got invited to a Labor Day weekend wedding. Right. So, yeah, that's the uh, argument is there are people who uh, think it's fine and it's just any weekend and people who are upset because you're like taking away their long weekend. You're like basically like giving them homework over the weekend. And I say to those people, don't come. Yeah, you don't have to come. And it's supposed to be fun. So if you're not going to have fun then just don't come. And I've learned from this, from doing our own wedding, that I'm sure if you said no and you, like, uh, called or sent a note just saying it's, you know, it's it's too far, but I would really uh, wish I could be there and I wish you, wish you the best. And, you know, if you send a gift even and that kind of stuff, uh, people are not going to be mad and probably will be really happy that they can move down their list and like invite people that they thought they weren't going to invite or be able to save a little bit on the wedding because there are fewer seats. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's so few people who have that problem. If you're one of those people that have that problem, just don't go. So it says that's a minority. 18% of people consider it unacceptable to pick long weekends for weddings rather than relaxing. I find weddings to be kind of relaxing. Yeah, also... Who doesn't um, love a free dinner and free booze and dancing? And I'm sure great. I'm sure that's rich in terms of insights you can gather about, you know, like how rich people are versus what they think about this. Like, if I could not really afford... If I, you know, if my family was mostly people who worked hourly and if you take time off, you don't get paid for it, then I would find it very annoying for people to use long weekends for weddings. But if I worked a job where it was totally fine for me to take time off whenever, 
then it's not as big of a deal. I can make long weekends whenever I want. Yeah. And if you're flying or traveling, like if you're really budget conscious, it could be a lot more expensive for you to do it over the long weekend. I mean, I guess the selection bias in this, as I would say, if I was writing for 538, which they should have done, is uh, people who fill out internet surveys are either skewed very young and very affluent or very uh, poor. Because it depends on if you're like, there's a genre of survey that like self-selecting people who spend a lot of time on the internet are mostly going to be richer people because they have access to the internet all the time and they use it as a time waster. And the other side of the coin is like, there are a lot of surveys that people take because they offer you like free coupons for stuff. So I don't know how SurveyMonkey runs theirs if, if you get like Amazon rewards or that kind of stuff. Um, I worked for a company. One of my first jobs out of college was writing market research surveys where you uh, go in and say you, you get assigned an episode of a show and then you write questions about like uh, when, you know, when Ray Romano and his wife were arguing in the grocery store, like which brand of chips was on the, uh, on the shelf. And then people can pick and you could fill out those surveys and get like rewards points to get free stuff, which, uh, a lot of the people who are going to do those surveys are going to be filling out a lot of them because they want the free stuff. And so like there's selection bias both ways. Yeah. Good point. Um, so who should pay for it? I found this to be very interesting. Who should pick up the check for a wedding? So you and I, Megan, have covered this in previous episodes and yes. like what we thought about the what we thought about the split. And most people on the survey thought that the couple should pay for it. So this their res responses are broken out by age. So 18 to 29, 30 to 44, 45 to 50. 59 and then 60 plus. If you add everything up, the top ones are tied between just the couple should be paying and then a three-way split between the couple, the groom's family, and the bride's family. And the third most picked one is just the bride's family should pay, which uh, surprisingly, the 35% of young people thought that the bride's family should pay for the whole thing. So age 18 to 29, the highest number on this whole list, like when you break everything out by who should be paying and then which ages responded that way, the highest number is 35% of 18 to 29 year olds said the bride's family should pay for the whole thing. That was That's very surprising to me. Yeah. Because you would think our generation would understand that like, this isn't about like the bride's family giving away their daughter to the groom's family. Also, by the way, PS, very heteronormative, this whole thing. But uh, it just- When you compare it to just like, how many people think just the groom's family should pay? And the aggregate is 2% of respondents said just the groom's family should pay. And 25% said just the bride's family should pay. I'm surprised the couple numbers aren't higher for everyone. Because I feel like the the cultural norms nowadays are you should, the couple should pay for it and other people should contribute to it or can contribute to it, but aren't obligated to. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's like the little bubble that we live in. Who I think knows? that's a, yeah, that's a context bias on our part because a lot of independent wedding content producers that are like people that are blogging about how to save money on weddings or how to do weddings in a feminist or uh, sort of just sensible kind of way. These are mostly people who are paying for it themselves. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I find that to be a curious number also because it, by far 35% is the highest across the age groups. So looking yeah. at just People who thought the bride's family should pay for the whole thing. 35% of 18 to 29 year olds, we said that. Then when you go to 30 to 44 year olds, it drops to 18%. 45 to 59 year olds said 22%. So it went back up. And then over 60 is 24%. But even for people who are over 60, 
who you would think they you would think that they would answer that the bride's family should pay for the whole thing. It's eleven percent lower than the youngest people on the list. Yeah, that's true. And like they answered the couple more than they answered the bride's family. Yeah. Crazy. Very strange. Guys, we're gonna post a link to this article so you don't have to listen to us read the uh, the chart and like picture it in your mind. You can follow along. <laughs> I mean, I think it's very simple. It's twenty six percent of eighteen to twenty nine year olds <laughs> age. Yeah. The top one percent of the, the top one percent of the top five percent are getting the top half percent of thirty six percent. So yeah, he goes into depth on the like the different permutations of everything. Like basically, seventy percent of people in the whole survey said the bride's family should be at least somewhat on the hook for paying for the wedding. Like when you add up every answer that includes the bride's family in some way. So that's weird. I agree. Is it required for? If the bride has a brother, should he should the groom make him a groomsman? I don't think anything should be required. I don't think groomsmen should be required to exist. Never mind including the bride's brother. It also depends on the bride's relationship to her brother. Right. And the groom's relationship to her brother. I agree with all that stuff. Like, if they're estranged, then no. Mm -hmm. I think it would be nice if they were close. So this said 40% of people uh, felt more than somewhat strongly that the groom should make the bride's brother his groomsman. Wow. I also think it's weird that that's all that's mentioned about it. And uh, like this question, was this question asked the reverse way about like uh, groom's sisters being bridesmaids? So I don't know if maybe that's just like implied because of the patriarchy that you would just do that. I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe. I think we need to send this podcast to Walt Hickey and say, listen, buddy, we expect more of you. At Walt Hickey. We have a lot of questions about this. <laughs> uh, so there's a second article about gifts. So yes, this one is, uh, the first one came out September 1st, second one came out September 2nd. The ultimate guide on how much to spend on wedding gifts. I have a lot of the same feedback as the other questions he asked, but how much should you spend on a wedding gift? And it's broken out by who is getting married, their relationship to you. What do you think? First of all, I don't find that to be entirely relevant. I agree. We spend the same amount on wedding gifts no matter our relationship to the couple. This one is broken out into immediate family, extended family, close friend, or regular friend. I think if someone is inviting you to a wedding and you decide to go, then it's just a wedding gift. Yeah. It's based on what you can afford and like how many people are going from your party. I guess the the only thing that would make it different to me is like if you, this is a wedding for your child that you are not contributing much to putting it on. Then yeah. then I would then I would say it's appropriate to spend a little more on your wedding gift. I agree. That's really the only context. Like if if you're a parent of the bride or the groom and you're not and you are, like, contributing a pretty good amount to the wedding, I would not expect a gift at all. I agree. So the article goes into a lot of different uh, permutations, you know, the how much you should spend based on the relationship to you. The um, average number, so how much for immediate family, it said the average respondent or the average for the survey is uh, $147. That's more than we spend. That, to me, so, like, that would be if your sister is getting married. Yeah. But if my sister is getting married, I'm going to be a bridesmaid, and I'm going to be spending a ton of money over the course of time. Right. On being in the wedding. This seems like an insane amount of money. This is also not regressed, 538. It's also not regressed based on other factors, like how much the wedding costs, how much, you know, like... In general, your, you know, your gifts are to people. I, yeah, for I think Christmas. it would be. I think it would be helpful to have a starting point where you say, like, how much would you pay for a birthday present for someone, and right. then how much would you pay for a wedding present for that same person, and then like figuring out the difference. So and then your, you can personally look at how much do I pay for a birthday present for someone, and this is how I determine how much is appropriate to pay for a wedding present. And the givers. The giver's income bracket and the receiver's income bracket. Yeah. 
Uh, when I was uh, going to weddings when I was a poor college student, um, my go-to, because I could probably afford like between $30 and $50 for a wedding gift, uh, I would go on their registry and I would buy all the little tiny things. So I had a large quantity of gifts, even though <laughs> the total like money spent on the gifts was not as great as probably some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. But I was like, look, I got you these soup ladles and I got you these towels and I got you these pillowcases. And isn't that great? That's definitely my strategy for uh, baby showers. When yeah. people ask for a bunch of stuff, I will, I'll tend to buy four $10 items. Something like that. Yeah. And it said, back to the survey, extended family, $71. Close friend, $82. So you would spend more for a close friend than someone like your cousin or something. Uh, and then for fr just friend, it said $50. Yeah. Those are the averages. It looks like we're in like the 70th percentile for most of these. But we're again, we're paying the same amount, like no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess, so based on when we were talking about the art, the other article about plus ones, uh, the next part of this article talks about, um, the size of your gift, whether you got a plus one or not, which I guess that's a, like what you were saying, the strict idea of a plus one is you can bring whoever you want. Yeah. It's a, someone that the couple is expecting not to know. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely upping your gift. If I'm bringing a stranger to drink your booze, I better give you a better gift. And according to the survey, 67% of people said you should spend the same amount on the gift even if you're bringing a plus one. These, I'm shaking my head right now. You can't see it. These people are... Rude. Rude. <laughs> Let me put it this way. If you're one person and I'm paying for you to have a seat at the wedding, have the dinner, and you you have a, like all the all the places are renting for the venue for the reception blah blah blah, and you're coming to all those things you're a adding to the uh, the count of the people. If you're taking a spot, you're a spot for one, and if you bring another person, all of those costs are in fact double. For me math so if you are bringing a gift for just you that's rude yeah i don't think you necessarily need to double your gift but like a i token... think your plus one person should be giving i would i would say your plus one person should be contributing at least 60 percent of what you are going to contribute alone so if you were going to buy a gift for 40 dollars, they should be also giving you $30 so that you can buy a $70 gift. Yeah. I don't know if the numbers worked out, but 538. <laughs> You're just going to say that after every question. Mm -hmm. Is money perfectly acceptable as a wedding gift? 100% yes. I agree. 94% uh, of people agreed as well. That one is, doesn't seem that controversial. No. Should your wedding gift... These are kind of like speed round ones. Should your wedding gift be for... People, for both people getting married, or is it okay to get a gift that's just for one of them, the bride or the groom? Uh, it depends on, like, how specific it is. Like, if you know that only one of them cooks and you get them something for their kitchen, I think that's fine. But if you know that uh, only one of them fishes and you get them a fishing pole, I think that's rude. So this is roughly, like... Over three quarters of people said a wedding gift should be for both people getting married rather than just one member of the couple. But also, if you're getting stuff off the registry and they ask for a fishing pole, what do you care? Yeah. I think that would really apply to, like, if you went off registry. Which, like, if you're going off registry all the time enough to have an opinion on this survey, <laughs> like, you're a crazy person. Uh, is it really important that your gift arrive on or before the wedding the wedding day. No. So 60% uh, of men and 46% of women said the gift should be there on or before the wedding day. I mean, I I usually do it before because I'm uh, not a procrastinator, 
but yeah, I think it's a good idea. It's like polite. Yeah, but I don't think it's a big deal. The etiquette thing is like you, you can a year. get a gift up to a year yeah. because they might get divorced <laughs> or get old or whatever. Who knows? Uh, how long is too long to wait to send a thank you note? Six months. Let's see. So the longest, the longest uh, response possible was three plus months. Oh, you have up to a year. Most people said for three plus months, like I'm doing the math in my head because it's broken out. There's no average. About like 20 or so percent of people said it's too long to wait three or more months to write thank you notes. Uh, it seems very spread out though, because like it's roughly 40, 45% said a month is too long, like a single month. That like doesn't make sense to me. What if you went on a three week long honeymoon? A single month is sometimes an amount of time where I'll forget somebody has emailed me. <laughs> like I'll respond to an email that's a month old. Like I would for like engagement presents or shower presents, I would do them within a month just because like you're not also getting married in that time period. But when you have this huge event and like there's a lot, st lot of stuff going on and it's time people go on honeymoons directly after their wedding, like you don't. That's just not feasible. Would you feel hurt if you did not receive a thank you note for a wedding gift you've given? Yes. Not, not hurt? A, not a lot, but I'd feel a little bit hurt. Okay. There's not hurt, a little hurt, and very hurt. A little hurt. So uh, a lot of respondents said not hurt. They do not care. Especially younger people, like younger being under 45. So... If you look at especially 18 to 29, like the youngest bucket, mm -hmm. both women and men. So men 18 to 29, who probably don't care if you ever talk to them ever, 65% uh, of people of them said they are not hurt if you don't send a thank you. Yeah. And 63% of women in that group. Uh, so the biggest numbers were for, uh, obviously, for Women and men, 60 plus. Yeah. They are... Very hurt. Even then, uh, so the highest number on this whole thing is uh, men, 60 or more, are a little hurt if you don't send a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that is half. This is an eh to me. People love to talk about thank you notes, though. Deride people. Seems yeah. like not a lot of people care. So that's those are those are five thirty eight. Wow. Those are the those are the questions. That was the survey. That was a lot. It's Besides just frustrating that, that they didn't pull out any important details. There was no analysis. Yeah. I felt. I think the moral of the story is it depends on your region and your class and the size of the wedding and your relationships with the people that are invited. All of those things are important. Right. And they didn't touch on any of that shit. I know it's hard to sort of control for uh, a lot of different factors, like whether you're going to use a yardstick in terms of like the size of the wedding or the cost of the wedding and that kind of stuff. And like those are not really that precise if you're trying to bucket yeah. data into those. But any of them would be better than nothing. Yeah, I agree. We uh, So we use Zola for a registry and I got a survey from them that asked very in-depth questions that I about just like us as people. How much money do you make? What's your education? Like, what's your region? Like, where are you originally from? All this stuff that like clearly they're going to use to then like figure out analytics about the types of gifts that they have on their registry. Right. Their business is to uh, they're offering you the registry platform in order to try to sell you registry gifts. Yeah. So, but I was struck by how good their questions were about getting at the heart of what is going to influence the gifts that I pick to put on my registry and how none of those questions were present in this 538 article. Mm -hmm. I was very disappointed that they didn't uh, at least ask basic demographic questions. That's true. And I mean, I don't know if I'm the crazy one, but like class is not on here. Race is not on here. Only gender. And it was very heteronormative in talking about bride and groom. Like, if I was gay or if a huge uh, subset of my friends and family were gay and, like, I went to a lot of weddings where there was no groom or there was no bride, 
Like, it'd be very hard to answer some of these questions. Mm -hmm. So it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, I get that that's much smaller sample size. So it would be harder to glean significant insights, but there weren't significant insights gleaned to begin with in the data set that he got. Yeah. I just, I feel like they're, you, they could have written the questions in a way that would have opened it up more because if those people had gotten onto the survey, I doubt many of them completed it because it can be frustrating to try and answer questions that don't fit what you're trying to express. Are you supposed to get, if you are in the wedding party, if you're a groomsman or a bridesmaid, do you, are you supposed to get a gift for the people, a wedding gift? I think technically, yes. Um, but I it costs have, you so much. I to... know. I always have, and it's always like more of a token than it is like a, a large scale money. So you would, you would maybe spend a little bit less. Yeah. Usually I'll spend a little bit less and I'll try and buy something personal. Because if you're, if you're like going to one to three parties before and at least one of those you're getting a gift and then yeah. the circle is kind of weird of like then at the wedding the like the bride is supposed to give you a gift and then are you're supposed to give them a, like it's I know weird like, it's a crazy gift culture I'd love to like not have that with my <laughs> friends just be like you don't have to give me anything like you're coming that's really what I care about and you're buying a dress yeah Right, the clothes too. They're yeah. renting the clothes or buying the clothes. It's it's it seems weird for them, like they're supposed to bring you a gift. Yeah, I agree. Like thanks for thanks for having me pay all of this other these other costs. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Well that was a hefty one. Yeah. Cool. Well thanks guys. Uh you can email us at we do podcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes or any of the other platforms. Give us a rate or review. Subscribe. See you later. Bye.